we come again to uh, the book of Second Timothy, chapter 3, verses 10 through 17, is our passage that we're going to be looking uh, at this morning. And so let's uh, read this. Let's read it prayerfully. And let us remember that uh, though these are the words of the Apostle Paul, uh, at the same time, one and the same time, they are the inerrant and infallible word of God. Paul speaking to Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, we commit our time right now uh, to your word, to this passage, uh, praying for your grace, uh, the gracious work of your Holy Spirit that would enable us to understand these spiritual words uh, to understand them from the standpoint of your redemption in Christ, to understand them as not just a man's words, but though a man's words at the same time being your very word, uh, delivered to the Apostle Paul, uh, brought about by uh, the breathing out of your spirit uh, in and through Paul uh, into these writings, the writings themselves breathed out by you in a way that is mysterious, but nevertheless brings to us the full authority of heaven, the full authority of your authority, God, as they would speak to our lives. And then we pray for the way in which the word, your word, your truth is a means of grace. Even praying what Jesus prayed to you, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So sanctify us, almighty God, as we attend to your word. And may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So apostasy, uh, that's the theme that the Apostle Paul repeats to Timothy in both letters. Apostasy, that people uh, who were part of the church were falling away from the faith because they were following deceptive teachers and deceptive teaching. Now, just as often as Paul has brought up this theme of apostasy, he's also stated in various ways that it's the great need of God's people to follow godly teachers and godly teachings. And now Paul comes to this again. As we look at this passage, we can also once again bring up the idea of biographical theology. That is to say, Paul roots and grounds his teaching, his teaching to Timothy and what he's written to Timothy and beyond Timothy to the church. He's grounded all of this in his own personal relationship, his godly relationship that has existed between him and Timothy now for, for really better than a, a, a decade, a decade and a half. See, at the time that Paul is writing this, he has been Timothy's chief mentor and discipler and teacher for approximately 15 years. 
And now, now that relationship is going to come to a close. It's, it's in its closing chapter because the Apostle Paul in prison in Rome already knows the outcome of what's going to happen with his last appearance before Caesar. He knows that his departure uh, is relatively soon. So again, we think about that as the context. Paul is going to be executed. He's going to be beheaded in the near future. Uh, because he is a Roman citizen, he won't be crucified like the apostle Peter was crucified. So in light of all of this, Paul is reviewing with Timothy uh, what the essential things are that he must hold on to in order to serve faithfully after Paul has met his death in Rome. Now, as to Timothy's future, uh, the best historical evidence indicates that Timothy did continue to serve and to serve faithfully as the lead pastor of Ephesus, really for about the next 30 years beyond Paul's death. So what Paul is telling Timothy now, though, has to do with what led to that kind of successful, that kind of faithful pastoring. It's, it's all contained in this word following. Now, the word following is, is not unfamiliar to us, um, but we need to get an idea of what the Apostle Paul means by following. We, in our culture today, see various degrees of, of following, especially because of social media. There are all sorts of people and movements that we might follow for various reasons. We can follow political commentators because we agree with them. But on the other hand, we can also follow political commentators that we don't agree with because we want to keep an eye on them. We can follow family members on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we do this primarily for the sake of love, not because we always agree with them or always follow the way that their posts are going. So there's that kind of following that we have that's very current in our world today. But that is a very different kind of following than what the Apostle Paul is talking about, because in the New Testament world, a follower wasn't a casual kind of relationship. It was a very serious kind of relationship. It was a matter of the deepest kind of devotion. So the person you might choose to follow, well, that would be an incredibly significant decision that you would make. Because in that kind of following, uh, you would be conforming your life to that particular person. Uh, you would make that person a model for your own life. And that is what we're looking at this morning. Uh, we're looking at the relationship between Paul and Timothy, the, the biography, really, of Paul and Timothy's relationship, in light of how Paul was the godly model for Timothy. Uh, but there's more than that. Uh, Paul is really the, the godly model that we see set apart of the New Testament that all of us ought to follow. And that's really the concern of this passage this morning from the standpoint of looking at this word following. There's a big idea. There's a main theme here that I want us to think about. And it really can be said in this particularly succinct way. That it's because the Apostle Paul followed the Lord Jesus Christ so closely. He fits the idea of a godly model to a superlative degree. And for this reason, Paul is our, our best godly model to imitate as followers of Christ. That is to say, Paul's relationship with Christ is what has qualified him to be the one that we ought to imitate, no less than Timothy imitated and followed the Apostle Paul. Now, in looking at the passage in front of us, looking really this morning only at verse 10, we're going to find four main ideas that can be expressed this way. That in following the godly model that we see in the Apostle Paul, we're going to find a great contrast 
with following the ungodly religious pretenders. Uh, secondly, we're going to see that in, in following the godly model, we're going to see core characteristics of the Christian life. Uh, thirdly, we would find in this passage and in, in, in this and what we're going to be looking at in the next two weeks, we're going to find a great conflict with the world. And then fourthly, uh, in following the godly model, we will, in fact, experience the comfort and confidence of living a scripture-based life. Now, as I said, we're going to look at the first two of these this morning, those that are located in verse 10, and then next week we'll continue on with verses 11 and on to look at these other two points. Uh, we just, it's, it's an incredibly rich passage, and it's an incredibly significant idea, this, this whole matter of, of following a godly model. As I was working on this this week, I uh, recollected a fairly recent statement by Charles Barkley. He was formerly uh, one of the NBA uh, great basketball players, and he now does a lot of sports commentary. But he was actually saying on his program, <clears throat> don't use athletes as role models. He was very firm about that. And I think he was thinking about all the disturbances and different things going on today uh, that he doesn't agree with. Uh, that sports figures are doing, and this seems to be sort of leading the nation in certain ways. And he was saying, don't, parents, don't let your children look at sports figures as role models. They're not models. They're athletes. He said, parents, you need to be the role models. And I thought, how true. I mean, parents need to be role models. But then we have the Christian context here, and we need to be thinking about, well, who should we model our lives on? And the burden of this morning's message is, well, we have the Apostle Paul and we have those things that we ought to follow. And these things are very significant for the Christian life. So beginning then in verse 10, um, we find in following the godly model, as we begin verse 10, a great contrast with those who followed after the ungodly pretenders. And that's because in the beginning of verse 10, we find the Apostle Paul saying, you, Timothy, you, however, have followed that is, the however presents this great contrast with what Paul had just written. Paul's referring to those ungodly, wolfish, religious pretenders, uh, those men who had the appearance of godliness, but who had corrupted thinking, who were disqualified and unfit with respect to the, the truth of the Christian faith. And that's the contrast. Timothy hasn't been like that. Timothy has followed Paul, and therefore Timothy has not been a, a vessel of vice. Uh, Timothy has not been a lover of self or a lover of money. He's not been abusive or brutal or slanderous. He's not been swollen with conceit. Timothy is the opposite of all that. He's the opposite because he has followed the apostle Paul. Now, that the verb followed in the original is a compound. It's a basic verb with a prefix. The basic verb itself means to follow, and that would designate someone as a disciple. But adding the prefix uh, is a strengthening addition to this word. It adds the dimension of always being alongside of, or the idea of, of faithfully following, the idea of conforming oneself to. So it intensifies the idea of following. So really at the beginning of verse 10, Paul is not just stating a fact, he's stating a fact that's an evaluation. He is commending Timothy. He's not just saying that Timothy stands in strong contrast to the false teachers. He's praising Timothy for how well he has followed him, how well he has followed the Apostle Paul. Now, now that raises an interesting 
consideration. It, it's an important question regarding the Apostle Paul. And, and that is the matter of viewing the Apostle Paul himself as the godly model. The question we need to think about, we need to address it, and we need to answer it, is simply this. By what right does Paul, a human being, uh, commend Timothy for following alongside of him? By what right does Paul see himself as the godly model for Timothy to follow? Or put this in a, in a slightly larger context, an infinitely larger context. Is it ever right to set before us as Christians uh, any human example as the guiding light or the role model for our lives? I mean, someone could actually say as a valid point, if we have Christ in his incarnation, shouldn't that be sufficient? Why would we even think about proposing any human model when we have Christ? Well, the only way we can answer that question and a significant and important question is this. The only way we can answer that is from within the scriptures themselves. It can't be answered theoretically. It can't be answered by some kind of philosophically speculative uh, argument. It can only, only be answered from within the scriptures themselves, what God by his spirit has revealed on this particular matter. And as we shall see, the voice of the Holy Spirit is entirely clear. We have several scriptural testimonies that validate Paul's credentials for being a godly model for Timothy and really for all of us as Christians. So first of all, then, consider in light of this what scripture has to say, what Paul himself has written about Paul's own conversion. Uh, we can look here to Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 to begin with. Paul writes this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You see, Paul claims that his apostleship has come directly from both Jesus Christ and God the Father without any involvement of any other human person, no involvement, no authorization from the other apostles. So just like Jesus uh, chose those apostles directly, uh, Paul is claiming Jesus likewise chose him and authorized him to be an apostle. Now, then Paul goes on to continue in uh, verses 11 to 17, where he says this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, what Paul is claiming there is that his whole authority comes directly from God the Father and from his son, Jesus Christ. He's saying about himself that he has this divine sanction. His teaching is from Christ. 
So all of the circumstances surrounding his own conversion, his direct encounter with Christ, his direct calling from Christ, uh, the fact that he has the teachings and the doctrines of the Christian faith directly from Christ, all of this has set the Apostle Paul apart as an instrument of the Holy Spirit to speak and to write the will of God. That is who he is. Those are his credentials. But then Paul goes on within his ministry uh, to call upon Christians to actually imitate him because of his authorization, his calling, the divine sanction put upon his life by Christ. And so we see this a couple of times in his letter to the Corinthians. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, pay close attention to verses 15, 16, and 17. This is what Paul writes. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them every, everywhere in every church. Now look at what Paul is saying here. He's urging the believers in Corinth to imitate him, to follow his ways in Christ, the way that he, Paul, teaches in every church. Now, that's quite a claim, but clearly Paul is setting himself up as the godly model that believers should follow, that believers should imitate. Now, he says this again uh, later in 1 Corinthians, uh, as though they didn't get it the first time. He says it again later in chapter 10, beginning in verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So again, Paul takes the stance that he is a godly role model that ought to be imitated on the grounds that he himself is an imitator of Christ. So that really settles the question. Paul is the godly model. Christ has set forth Paul to be this godly model. Paul is worthy to be imitated, worthy to be followed, because he himself was such a faithful imitator of Christ. So the question, is it ever right to have someone set before us who's a human being to, uh, to actually be that guiding light, that role model? The answer is yes, of course. We have it here in God's word. Uh, the Word of God has authorized the Apostle Paul to be that godly role model for us to follow and to imitate. And that's been the pattern of Timothy's life. This has formed Timothy spiritually in every way. Uh, Timothy has followed Paul as Paul has faithfully imitated Christ. And that is why Paul's, that is why Timothy's life stands out in a, in a great contrast from those worldly and wolfish false spiritual teachers. So does this apply to us? Does this have application for us? Uh, we're not Timothy. So we can't follow Paul in that same personal and biographical manner. But you know what? Neither could those Christians at Corinth. Uh, they may have known him personally, but they couldn't particularly follow him like, like Timothy had followed him. Uh, so 
what then is Paul talking about when he tells believers to follow him, uh, to use him as the godly model that they should imitate? Well, that's really contained in what Paul is going to say next. Uh, the rest of verse 10, where Paul is going to refer to the, the core characteristics of the Christian life that we would find in following the godly model. Uh, this is how Timothy followed Paul. Uh, this is how we should follow Paul in terms of these several core characteristics of the Christian life. This is the path. Uh, to follow Paul here is to follow Paul as Paul himself imitated Christ. Now, the first thing that Paul writes about to Timothy is his teaching, and he calls it my teaching. It's important to know that when the word teaching shows up in the New Testament in these various kinds of ways, uh, it's always pointing to a body of doctrine, a body of teaching, a system of truths that God has revealed through Christ to the apostles and with respect to the New Testament writings preeminently to Paul himself. So Paul is not speaking in some narrow fashion about the gospel in its simplest and narrowest sense. He's not talking about just simply the plan of salvation. He's speaking about teaching in that holistic and wide sense, uh, the same way he would speak about in Acts chapter 20, 27, the whole counsel of God, where Paul says to the Ephesian elders in that passage, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Uh, teachings also is the same thing that, that Jesus commanded his apostles in the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, uh, in 18 to 20, there's that phrase where, where, the, where Jesus says to the apostles, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And that all that Jesus has commanded is really uh, the, the doctrine that we find in all of Scripture, but especially all of Scripture as it's been understood in light of the coming of Christ. So Paul is saying to Timothy, you have followed my teaching, the whole counsel of God, uh, all that Jesus commanded Christians to do, the apostles to do, to follow. Paul has likewise taught all that. And Paul's great claim is that this teaching, though his teaching, it's not really his teaching. It's the teaching that has been given to him from Christ. He got it from Christ, directly from Christ, Christ commissioned him to teach it and to preach it. And that's the teaching that Timothy has followed, what the godly model would have us to follow in terms of our lives. And so the question really comes to all of us as Christians. In light of this, in light of how significant uh, Paul is in terms of being the godly model in his teaching, we always need to ask who or what is teaching us? And as I said last week, uh, there is a great danger that if we're not being faithfully taught the word of God, if we're not faithfully learning the word of God, we are going to be uh, taught by the world. Uh, we're going to be, as it were, indoctrinated by the world. If we don't deeply train our own thinking uh, to follow the teachings of the Apostle Paul, to follow the teachings of Christ, we will, in fact, be indoctrinated by the world. And uh, that will be to our detriment and to the detriment of the body of Christ. And it can lead, as the apostle is speaking of uh, frequently within First uh, and Second Timothy, it can lead to that apostasy, that falling away from the faith. Now, the second item that Paul talks about here is his conduct, his, his way of life, 
the guiding principles in how he lived and ministered. In fact, we have already read of Paul's summary of those guiding principles that he expressed to the church at Corinth. So listen to these again. His conduct, his way of life, this is what Paul says. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to the Greeks or the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. See, that's Paul's conduct. That's Paul's behavior. That's Paul's way of life. And that ought to be our way of life as well. And then thirdly, Paul speaks about his aim in life. Uh, the particular Greek word there means his purpose in life. And we know how Paul understood his purpose because he got that purpose directly from Christ. And again, that is something he declared to the elders at Ephesus in that great passage in Acts chapter 20. So we can look at verse 24. And I memorized this in the NIV years ago. So that's what I'm quoting before you now, where Paul says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul saw his life. He saw his aim in life as a race and as a task given to him by Christ. And Timothy had faithfully followed Paul in terms of this aim in life, in life's purpose to be a shepherd of the church, which Christ has purchased with his own blood. But there's an application here to every Christian, and it's simply this. God just didn't give to some people an aim and purpose in life. God has given to every Christian an aim and purpose in life. In fact, we all have a very similar purpose that unites all of us. We are, to, in fact, to do all to the glory of God. And so when we have this big aim in life settled, when we wake up each day and are able to say, uh, what is my purpose today? Well, the bottom line purpose is I'm to live today to the glory of God. Then the, the other kinds of things that we're supposed to do, the other kinds of business of life becomes much clearer. In fact, I would say that uh, we ought to look not only to the glory of God each day, but to what Paul has definitively told us in Ephesians 2.10. Every day we should wake up and be able to say, what is my aim in life? Well, I am God's workmanship. I have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has prepared in advance for me to walk in them. Whatever your day is, whatever your calling in life happens to be, uh, whatever stage in life you happen to be, every day when you wake up, recognize that God has foreordained, prepared good works for you to walk in and them. And so every day we have our marching orders. Every day we need to say, Lord, open up my eyes, help me to understand what is the good that I can do today? How can I love my neighbor as I would love myself? How can I do unto others as I would want them to do unto me? How can I live today uh, completely to your glory? Fourthly, and Paul goes on to speak about his faith, his faith. And Timothy would be inclined to see this, as all of us should, both objectively and also subjectively. See, objectively, Paul's faith was essentially his utter confidence in Christ, 
his utter confidence in the person and work of Christ, uh, in the message that Christ was the propitiation for Paul's own sins and for really the sins of all those that God had chosen, uh, that Paul was was convinced in his faith that Christ was therefore the Redeemer, that Christ had reconciled him to God and God to him, that Christ had become the sin offering for him and in his place to expiate his guilt. In a nutshell, Paul's objective faith would cause Paul to write the words that we've already read in Scripture, Romans, or read in the service, Romans 8, 31, 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see, the object of our faith is the God who has given us his utmost for our highest good. Our faith, our objective faith in the love of the Father who has delivered up his Son for us in order to give us all things for this life and eternity. But there would be the subjective aspect of, well, that Timothy would think about. Uh, trusting God in all things. And here we might look to Philippians 4, verses 5 and 6, to see the subjective aspect of the Apostle Paul's faith. Paul said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this is what Paul has taught about our faith, our trust, our confidence that we should have in God. The inner condition of our hearts, uh, the assurance in our hearts that God hears us, that God cares for us, that God will sustain and deliver us from all of our current set of problems. That's the subjective aspect of faith. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you have followed me in my faith. Likewise, what a godly model that sets for us to have our faith objectively in the person and work of Christ, to have our faith subjectively in that confidence of God that he who delivered up his own son for us will also graciously give us all things. And therefore, he's going to hear us when we pray. He's going to meet our needs when we have a tendency to be anxious. He's going to take care of us in all circumstances. That leads to the fifth core characteristic we find in following the godly model and Paul speaks about his patience. Now, Timothy has known and followed Paul and his patience through so many different circumstances of great trials and great difficulties. Uh, he has seen Paul face these things without grumbling or complaining. Uh, during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome a few years earlier, Timothy was there. He wasn't in prison, but he was residing in that city, having contact constantly with the Apostle Paul. And he saw Paul face the hardships of being chained to a Roman guard 24-7. He saw how Paul reacted to those who at that time in Rome were seeking to afflict Paul further in his imprisonment. And this was coming from Christians and Christian preachers, men who were preaching Christ out of envy and strife with the Apostle Paul, out of selfish ambition. And he saw how Paul could respond to all of that with incredible patience, 
by writing to the Philippians these words of truth because of all this that's going on. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Such long suffering, such a calm and trusting heart and the Apostle Paul, such patience with circumstances and the people who were envious of him. Timothy had clearly seen and Timothy had followed the patience of the Apostle Paul. And then the sixth characteristic, Paul speaks of his love. And Timothy understood exactly what the Apostle Paul meant by this. We need to know that the Apostle Paul is the greatest ethicist of all time. He is the greatest moral philosopher in all of human history. It is Paul who set forth the theology and the philosophy and the ethical principles of love as that love demonstrated in God who loves sinful human beings in and through the person and work of Christ. You see, Paul took the, the Greek word agape and he filled it up with new meaning. He made this virtue of love the highest of all virtues, even the foundation of all other virtues. And Paul taught that this love is that which the Holy Spirit pours out in believers. So it's a love that can only come from God. It's a love that is selfless, self-sacrificing, self-denying. It's focused on the true good and the welfare of others. It puts others first. It never quits. It doesn't run on emotions. It has the nature of a covenant, a sincere and sacred bond, a sacred commitment, and that it will always seek to act for God's glory according to the truth, and that in actual practice, this love will always take third place because it will put all others in second place, and it will put God and God alone in first place. Now, the Apostle Paul taught this and lived this. As he said, as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they might be saved. And Timothy saw this in the Apostle Paul. And Timothy, Timothy himself followed this godly model and how he lived and loved. Really, the question before us is, is the Apostle Paul our godly model? and all the things that pertain to love. Do we read what Paul says and do we seek to be like Paul? Do we really try to give others precedence over ourselves? Do we really see God as first and others as second and ourselves as third? Now, the last characteristic that Paul mentions in this group is in verse 10, where Paul speaks of his steadfastness. Uh, the New American Standard will translate this perseverance, the NIV, endurance. This virtue is a close cousin to that other virtue of patience. In the Greek, it's a hyper word, that it's a compound that adds the word hyper as a prefix uh, to the root word, which means to abide or to remain. And the hyper prefix in Greek is like the Latin prefix of super. That is to say, the idea, the meaning of the word, whatever it is, is intensified. So here the basic meaning of the word is to remain in place and to abide in the same place without any wavering at all. And this is greatly intensified. It means, therefore, without being moved in any degree at all. But 
not in a physical sense, not in a geographical sense, not in Newton's three laws of motion sense. Rather, Paul's talking about convictions. He's talking about his principles. He's talking about his teachings and his gospel, his purpose and his faith in Christ. He is saying to Timothy, you have seen me never move at all from these convictions. You have seen my steadfastness. You have seen me this way, and you likewise have remained firm and unwavering in the same way. And what a great model this is for us, a great model that we must follow. To be so anchored, at, anchored in the truth that is in Jesus, that we shall not be moved by the politics of this country. We will not be moved by the pandemic that has disrupted the normal way of life or the riots that have so distressed the cities, nor the evidence all around us that we live in days of evil and a present evil age where this present darkness has its source, not in flesh and blood, but in the cosmic powers and the spiritual forces of evil that dwell in the heavenly places. We shall not be moved if we follow the godly model of the Apostle Paul. We shall not be moved, but we shall remain steadfast in knowing that these forces are the real enemies. This is where we wrestle. This is where those who know Christ fight the good fight of the faith. Now, here we have to take a temporary recess, not a conclusion to this message, but a temporary recess. And in doing so, I want to return our thoughts to what Paul taught a bit earlier in this letter, also in light of his impending death. Now, Paul reminded Timothy about not just the certainty of death, but the certainty of death's outcome, the certainty of what Christians have beyond death, and how that certainty should galvanize all Christians to live for nothing less than the glory of Christ. A reminder that you and I have only one life to live, one life to spend, and that we ought to spend it best by living for Christ. And we can live it best when we seek to follow the godly model that God has given us in the example of the Apostle Paul and in his word. And may we be so committed to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, enable us to grasp deeply that you set before us in Scripture, not just a, a set of principles, but a person who followed your son so closely that he could say, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. And, and we see as he talks to Timothy and writes to Timothy what a model of the Christian life he consistently presented and how Timothy was spiritually molded by following the Apostle Paul and how we too can have our lives molded properly by following the things that the Apostle says about his teachings and his conduct and, and his faith 
and his love and his patience and his steadfastness, all of these things which we as Christians need as core characteristics of our lives. Enable us, Lord, to embrace them. Enable us to see the godliness in Paul, to follow him faithfully because he followed you. And we would ask this, Lord, because we would hope and pray that no matter how difficult these days are, we would redeem this time, even as the days are evil. We would redeem this time by being galvanized to spend our life faithfully and fully for the sake of Christ. In his name, to his glory we pray. Amen.